Well, good morning, Greenwich, and welcome to the Thursday, November 9th edition of the Basement Academy. I want to begin with our morning psalm, Psalm 129. We've prayed this a time or three <laughs> over the last couple of years. It's a little tricky. It's hard for us to connect maybe directly because it doesn't feel like our experience. But I believe there is a contemporary expression or application of this when we hear the language of all those who hate Zion. Of course, we have marches and demonstrations and protests going on who are basically calling for the annihilation, the extermination of Jews. Probably helpful to separate out the state of Israel, which has Jews and Arabs and others, right? So to be Israeli does not necessarily mean you're a Jew. But to be a Jew means you're a Jew. And you don't have to be living in Israel to be a Jew. And so there are people who wish to see the death of the Jews. And so I think this psalm could have some expression and application there. So Psalm 129 reads this. They have greatly oppressed me from my youth, let Israel say. They have greatly oppressed me from my youth, but they have not gained the victory over me. Plowmen have plowed my back and made their furrows long, but the Lord is righteous. He has cut me free from the cords of the wicked. May all who hate Zion be turned back in shame. May they be like grass on the roof, which withers before it can grow. With it the reaper cannot fill his hands, nor the one who gathers fill his arms. May those who pass by not say, the blessing of the Lord be upon you. We bless you. In the name of the Lord. Maybe concern for false blessing, right? We really want you destroyed, but we're going to act like we're your friends. And so I think that's some of Psalm 129, what it's after. So Lord, hear our prayer for the peace in Jerusalem, the peace in Gaza, and the peace around the world. Okay, let's dive back into these seven letters to the churches. Uh, I'm just asking you to read chapters two and three of the book of Revelation. I'll read some uh, portions today. We saw the pattern yesterday. There's a, a, a pattern of this greeting and the identification with Christ and the affirmation, the, the word of correction, the promise, and then the, the let him who has ears to hear. So each of the letters follows this, this pattern almost to the T. Um, but when we read the letters, we, we run across some funny names that, you know, they're warned about, right? The Nicolaitans and, the, and Balaam, the teaching of Balaam. And then that Jezebel who considers herself to be a prophetess, but leads people astray. Uh, without going into too deep of a dive, um, Balaam and Jezebel, we have some historic references to. So these are figurative terms. Balaam would have lived, you know, what, 1,300 years earlier. Jezebel, similarly, Jezebel was the wife of uh, King Ahab uh, in the time of Elijah. And so the prophets of, of Baal, you know, there was that Mount Carmel experience. Um, Balaam. Uh, starts out asked to, you know, bless the Gentiles and curse the Jews. And Balaam's not going to do that, not going to do that, not going to do that. Eventually kind of slips. 
And the Nicolaitans, we don't quite know who they are. The, the name itself, Nike, Victory, Laos people, those who conquer or victorious over the people. Some think it might be connected to uh, one of the early deacons, Nicholas, who maybe had gone astray. And the thought is, that, that it's some speculation. Um, we, we don't know for sure. But that Nicholas maybe liked being part of the leadership structure and... It might be a reference to those who um, in church leadership, be it denominationally or even pastors, who love dominating and, and domineering others and, and making sure people are, are doing what they want. And so kind of this top-down way. Uh, some scholars think there may be some tie to money, um, like Simon, who was trying to um, purchase the um, power of the Holy Spirit for money. And so the church has always had some complicated relationships with money. Um, and so w without doing the deep dive, um, and, and we do have some references, Balaam and Jezebel lead the people into sexual immorality and idolatry. I think broadly, yeah, the way I think about this and why I put this three familiar, in parentheses, familiar errors, money, sex, and power are always, always tricky realities for the human family. This Just forget the church. Just money leads a lot of people astray. Um, sex obviously leads a lot of people astray. And power, the desire to dominate and to have power and influence uh, leads people astray. I think coupled with this is this notion of cultural accommodation. The church is to be set apart from the world. We are in the world, but not of the world. But but churches are comprised of people who live in the world, right? We, we, we're worldlings, each of us. You know, we have sinful natures. There, there's a reality to us. And there's habits of thought, habits of life, behavior, speech, attitudes that we carry with us into the church when we come to faith in Christ. And we don't always know that all of these attitudes and practices are not appropriate. And over time, we, by God's grace, are sanctified and we, and we set inappropriate um, behaviors and, and the like aside. But sometimes we are led by leadership and others who have influence to be accommodating. Well, let, the only way you can influence the culture is to kind of be close to the culture. And, and so um, th there may be uh, syncretism is a kind of a technical term, but it's when you take practices of the culture and bring them into worship. And sometimes you start to lose the focus on worship of God and these other practices. So... Um, idolatry was, was a much more active reality. Food offered to idols uh, was a reality. We don't have the same uh, dynamic in our own society. But, but the way I, I, I summarize these is money, sex, power, uh, cultural accommodation, um, finding, but, but clearly, you know, the, 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 the idolatry and the immorality are, are, are lifted up. So, so I think some of these things exist today. I think some of the tensions in our own denomination, the Presbyterian Church USA, you know, might, you know, there might be a call out if the Lord were to show up. There might be a call out uh, 
um, with, with some of the practices, particularly around human sexuality uh, and adopting some of the world's mindset, you know, kind of the oppressed, oppressor mindset, which, which is not necessarily a biblical, it's more of a Marxist framework that then gets shaped in some other ways. And so, um, again, it's a half a bubble off. It's, you know, we're concerned for racism, so let's plant a Black Lives Matter sign in our yard. Mm, but Black Lives Matter stands for some things that clearly are not in accord with Scripture. So I don't know if I should, you know, or a pride flag. Yes, we should support our LGBTQ nonconform, gender nonconforming individuals and love them well, but not affirm everything that they're doing, right? And so, and so that's the tension of the church is we're we're trying to get influence the world and influence people uh, towards Christ. But sometimes those practices come to influence uh, the church. So, so that that's one thought. Now, I do want to talk about the the seventh letter, the letter to the church at Laodicea. This is at the end of chapter three. Let me go ahead and read uh, that letter to the angel of the church in Laodicea. Write: These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline, so be earnest and repent. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is probably the most well-known or the most uh, referenced of the seven letters uh, to the churches. The, the two places where it gets referenced often is the, the would that you were hot or cold, but instead you're lukewarm. And, and so you don't want to be a lukewarm Christian, right, is kind of the way it gets talked about. And then this notion of I stand at the door and knock, anyone who hears my voice, and that's an evangelistic um, approach. A lot of times people say, you know, the Lord is standing at the door, knocking on the door of your heart. You need to open the door of your heart and let him in and be saved. And so, okay, so these are the places where the, the letter to the Laodiceans gets referenced. I think it's important so so to unpack a little bit um, Laodicea had these uh, springs springs of water some were hot some were cold there was medicinal realities okay the, the reference to the salve for the eyes and so these these springs could be mixed in a way uh, the water so that it would help it was like an ointment okay is what we would say and so the reference here of to being hot or cold, I mean, 
I hear people say, well, you know, you should either be hot or cold, but don't be a lukewarm Christian. Well, I don't want to be a cold Christian, so I'm going to be hot. The reference to hot or cold is saying useful. The hot springs and the cold springs were both useful. And so it's, a, it's an historic reference. It's, it's an actual reference to the geography of Laodicea, who they were, what was characteristic of their economy and their location. And so the yeah, yes, the notion of lukewarmness, but it has to do with kind of a, a usefulness. Their, their faith had not become useful, had not become, uh, they, they weren't practicing their faith, they weren't engaging their faith. Would that you were hot or cold. Okay, so it's not about being a hot or cold Christian. It's about being a faithful Christian. Now, some say, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm you know, splitting hairs here. But, but what's important is that we not make a good point in the wrong way. You know, it's, yeah, yeah, be faithful, be, be, be passionate for Christ, be zealous. I would talk about Romans chapter 12, always have zeal for the Lord. And so, so don't be lukewarm, but the notion of lukewarmness isn't, you know, I go to church sometimes and I read my Bible sometimes. You're a lukewarm Christian. This is not what's being spoken of here. That the concern is that the Laodiceans did not have accurate self-perception. They think they're rich. They've got all this physical wealth, this material wealth, but they don't realize their own true spiritual condition. You say, I'm rich. I have acquired wealth. Do not need a thing. That's what money does to us, right? We talked about that in our, uh, our summer series on money. Money makes us think we're invincible, makes us think we've got it all together. And we somehow think we're spiritually mature and rich if we're physically wealthy and, and rich, right? And so they did not perceive their own spiritual condition. They did not perceive <laughs> that they weren't useful and they weren't practicing their faith. They didn't perceive their, their true need of the Lord. And so it's this call to faith. And so they have drifted. They have heard the gospel. They've maybe had a response to the gospel, but then they've gone back to kind of a worldliness. Again, some cultural accommodation. They haven't recognized that their faith um, is calling them to, to something different than what they are practicing. So there's a call to repent. And that's where we get this reference of standing at the door and knocking. And so technically the letter to the Laodiceans is already to Christians who've already come to faith in Jesus Christ. It's not a call to faith in Jesus Christ. It's a call to return to the faith in Jesus Christ. You know, you maybe came to faith by having somebody offer that appeal at a youth meeting or some other context. And the preacher, the evangelist said, I, you know, Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock, open the door tonight and be saved. So again, I'm not going to find fault with it, but I just want it, to, it, I'm, I'm lifting this up to illustrate that, you know, it's, it's a wonderful passage that often is misapplied or, or, or misunderstood, which is what happens a lot of times with Scripture. The, the call here is to turn from spiritual apathy, 
kind of like the Ephesians lost their first love, maybe the Laodiceans have lost a little bit of that zeal, that, that usefulness, that, that, that commitment. And so it's a call, call back uh, to, to repent. So anyway, I always just like to, anytime I'm talking about that letter, I, I, I need to tease, I feel the need to tease some of this out. Let me just wrap up for a couple minutes. Um, again, let me let me commend to you the reading of chapter four of Eugene Peterson's book, Reverse Thunder. Um, it is a, this book, it, by now you're figuring out, he kind of writes in a very dense manner. There's very few throwaway lines. And so you need to pay attention. Sometimes, you know, you need to read the chapter a couple times. Um, I believe what these seven letters are calling for and what Peterson helps us is to cultivate a mature understanding of the church. Let's not think of church just as a place to go get a little spiritual inspiration. I, 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 yeah, I'm looking for a church to meet my needs. That is not a mature understanding of what the church is. That's an immature understanding of yourself and of the church. The church is not there as a pleasure palace for you to come feel good about, you know, once a week for an hour. The church is that place that God calls, this community that God calls us to in particular locations, right? But, but it's this global universal church, the one holy Catholic apostolic church. Church is not an option. Now, it's very popular in our society to think, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm spiritual, but not religious. I, I, don't, I don't do organized religion. I don't do organized church. And we're watching COVID. People are de-churching. They're saying, you know what? I don't get a whole lot out of it anyway. I'm going to go ahead and just follow God and follow Jesus, but I don't need the church. That is not a mature understanding of what the church is. You are a part of the church. You, you are called to live in community. There is no Jesus and me. God is my co-pilot kind of thing. There is no individual lone ranger Christians. We are called into community. The church is not an option. Yeah, but the church is messy and I don't like the songs and some of those people sing off key and, you know, the, 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 uh, the, the children's wing, you know, I, they, they didn't empty their trash cans and I don't like the parking, you know, all the different things that we say, why we don't want to go to church. We need to repent of that. That's the lukewarmness that we need to repent of. We need to be in church. You don't have to come to Greenwich, but you need to be in a local church. You need to be part of a local body of believers who, who you're praying with them and you're hearing God's word and you're you're being challenged and you're lifting your praises and you're sacrificing your money and your time to be involved, okay? So church is not optional, okay? Our culture also gets confused. Participant versus spectator. We live in a spectator society. You know, anymore you can just watch everything. You can live stream everything, you know, from your sports and your, your TV shows uh, and your church. And so you can just kind of sit back and be a spectator. And sometimes even coming to church, you can be a spectator. Just, I'm watching, you know, good job preacher, good job choir, good job, you know, whatever. We are participants. 
And so, so much of our own service, you know, we, we have a call response, call to worship. We sing, we say the Lord's prayer. We say the apostles creed. We, we put words in your mouth and we're trying to give you words to speak, to help teach you. And then we're listening to the word. You have a responsibility during the sermon to listen actively for God's word, to God's word. What's, what's, what's God saying to me today? And then to go live that. And so there are no spectators in church, in, in the Christian life. This is a, this is a um, participatory sport, okay? We'll say it that way. And yeah, churches are messy. There's not a church that isn't full of sinners. Every one of them is full of sinners. Every church, every person in that church is a sinner. And they're saints. This is the mystery of, of our faith, that we are uh, simul justus, simul peccator, at the same time justified and sinner. We are saints and sinners at the same time. Our personalities are, are unique. Um, we each have habituated ourselves to sin in such a way that you know, I've accommodated myself to certain forms of sin and selfishness and pride and lust and greed and sloth, uh, you know, the seven deadlies. And each of us has some accommodation to sin. Each of us has a way of doing it. And then we throw a bunch of us together and we get on committees and we get, you know, in women's groups and men's groups and youth groups and the like. And, and so church is messy. You can't read the seven letters to the seven churches without recognizing church is messy. You have this going for you. I commend you. Well done. But I have this against you. Now, here's the promise for those who overcome. And so we are sinners and saints at the same time. And, and you, so I don't like messiness. I, I, like, I just want to be around good, wholesome Christian people. Well, come to church. And you might find out that you're not as wholesome as you think you are, right? Because when you find yourself getting angry at that person, that's not about that other person, that's about you. When you find yourself getting impatient with church leadership because we're not going faster on some project that you want, that's not about church leadership, that's about you. Your impatience is about you. And so God would want to cultivate a, a, a deeper patience in you. And so churches become a place where we grow and mature. And ultimately, church is about God. It's about Jesus, not about us. It's about Him, not about us. And we forget that. And so when I hear people say, I'm looking for a church that will meet my needs, I go, oh, yeah. Come here and be among us and learn a different way of thinking. Because church is not about meeting your needs. Church is about giving you an opportunity to be in a community where you may participate and grow and, and become like Jesus Christ and serve and, and mature and repent and learn and, and love and serve and give, give of yourself to, to, to strengthen others. So church is not about you. The Christian faith is not about you and is not about me. It is about our Lord. And that's what these letters help us focus on begins with this call to, to recognize Jesus Christ amongst the lampstand. So let me close here. Uh, we'll pick up tomorrow one more set of thoughts, and I'm going to just do kind of a, a reflection on Greenwich, what, what affirmation 
what correction, what, what hope and promise. And, and so I uh, hope you'll tune in tomorrow, okay? Let's pray. Lord, be pleased to continue walking amongst the lampstand at Greenwich or the, the other churches that, that Academy members uh, participate in. And thank you that you are amongst the lampstands. Lord, forgive us for our lukewarm ways. <clears throat> Help us to repent. Teach us to repent. Show us how to repent. To open the door to have you come in afresh and, 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 and deepen our zeal and our passion and our commitment uh, as we had at first. Uh, so may we be renewed. Guard us from the errors of the Nicolaitans and, and Balaam and Jezebel in our own day, whatever they may be, of money, sex, and power, and accommodation. And so keep us, O Lord, and, and make us holy. Set us apart. Make us like Christ. For it's in his name that we pray, even as you taught us to pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. May God give you grace to repent today and to turn afresh to Jesus and to welcome him into your life wholeheartedly and to walk in fellowship with him in your home and in your local church. May he do it this day and may he do it forever. Amen.